The outfit that I'm wearing was given to me by a Kurdish brother who I've been working with in Kurdistan. And he said, now that I have been working with them and, and, and am a trusted brother in Christ, it was time for me to dress like a Kurd. And so, these trousers go out to here. <laughs> you tie them and then you put this on. And this sash could reach from me to Mildred. That's how long it is. You wrap yourself in it. And it's actually your burial clothes. You wrap your head around it if you are buried. Um, which I considered it to be a distinct honor that he would bestow upon me such a... This was his wedding outfit. That's how much we have become brothers in Christ. Eschatology to me was one of those words that... Um, Yahoo... I'd heard people argue about pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib, pan-trib, this trib, that trib, and everything in between to the point to where I was tired of hearing about it, and so I just shut it off. And there are many people that are the same way. Until about three years ago, of course, before that I was in and out of the refugee camps in Pakistan and Afghanistan, and I was starting to see a rumbling taking place in the 1040 window that many of us in this room have been praying into for years. We've been praying for breakthrough. We have been praying for the crumbling of Islam and Buddhism and Hinduism and every other kind of ism that you can ever imagine. And most of us have gotten to the place to where we prayed, but nothing's happening, so we quit. But there were those who didn't. And they kept persevering and praying like Daniel prayed. And the thing that happened was about three years ago, a nice friendly pastor that's very close to my wife and I, Pastor Sema, on New Year's Eve stood in, in the church that's right next to Tyree Square. He opened up his Bible to Haggai chapter 2 and he read... According to the word I coveted with you when I came out of Egypt, so my spirit remains among you, do not fear. If you have your Bible, circle that. As a Christian, circle it. It is a word from the Lord to you. Do not fear. For thus says the Lord of hosts, once more, in parentheses, it's, it is a little while. I will shake heaven and earth, the seas and the dry lands. I will shake all nations, circle all nations. And they shall come to the desire of all nations. And I will fill this temple with the glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, says the Lord. The glory of the latter temple shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, circle peace. Now, most of us are sitting there thinking, well, what does this have to do with us? Three years ago on that New Year's Eve, 
Just a few months prior to that, the so-called Arab Spring had begun in Tunisia. The Lord had started to shake the nations. There's a reason why he was shaking the nations. And then he shook Egypt. And of course, once he shook Egypt, it just went all over the news. And it went all over the Middle East. That the Lord was in the process of shaking the nations amongst the Christian community. And the Christian community from the Far East to the Middle East and all Arabic countries, all of the pastors were preaching, Christ is coming back soon. It is time for repentance. It is a time for you to get your life right. It is a time for you to realize that within a short period of time, you will be standing before the Father and you will have to give an account. Are you prepared to do that? Three years ago. And as we're standing here right now, or I'm standing here right now, we can look around the world and we have seen one nation after another being shook in its very foundations. The government, every aspect of, that, of, of the uh, people, the people that are in the group are being shook. And in many instances, people are praying for peace for those countries. I would say to you, in a loving way, you're praying error. We should be praying for the Lord to continue the shaking. Why is he shaking the nations? Why would the Father be shaking the nations? I do believe I've read somewhere. He said that he's going to take those nations, those enemies, and put them where? At the feet of his son, at his footstool. Time passed. I didn't give any too much thought about it. I'm in Iraq. And the Lord spoke to me very clearly. He said, Jim, am I just shaking the nations? Well, when you get that kind of a question, you know that the next thing is going to be, uh, well, you know all things, Lord, and so evidently... uh, you're, do, you're shaking more than just the nations. And he said, go to First Peter 4. Starting with verse 12 through 5 through uh, chapter 5 and 4. This is the point where Peter starts to talk about the shaking of God's house. He said, beloved, beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trials which is trying you as though some strange thing is happening to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On, your, on their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. 
But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, a busybody in other people's masters matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this manner. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel? God is shaking his house. He's shaking his church. Just step back and think for a second. What is happening to his church all around the world? The divisions that have caused the church, he's shaking. He's shaking the issue of the homosexuality issue. Marriage. We can go down a list of things that are happening. We can refer back to Ezekiel 33 and 34 where he says, the prophet says, woe unto you shepherds that have not taken care of my sheep. You know, a lot of times we're looking around everywhere and we're seeing shepherds falling left and right and we think this is the work of the enemy when in actuality, I do believe that it is the God that we serve his judgment of saying, you haven't taken care of my sheep, I'm replacing you. It is time for the church to wake up and repent. It is time for us to get things back in its right order, in its right sequence, as God designed it to be. That's what he's shaking. He's shaking it to the point to where he says in the beginning of chapter 5, the elders who are among you, I exhort. I, who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, am partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God. which is among you, serving, the, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not by, for dishonest gain, but eagerly, not as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the, good, when the chief, the good shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Everywhere we look, there is examples that are being set before us that God has his hand on his church and he's shaking it. Every denomination, every foundation that's ever been placed there is being shook. Shook in a way that it's bringing us back to the very delineation of what he said in his word. His word was the truth for us to follow. Not opinions, not mindsets, his word. He said there were to be things in right order. Why in the world did he go to such an extent with Moses to make sure that everything was articulated perfect in its right order so that when it was done, the glory fell? Solomon, very particular about everything, measurements, all, all in its right order. And then the glory fell. The book of Acts. Come on, people, the book of Acts. Everybody looks at the first chapter of Acts, and all they're ready for is the Yahoo. The Holy Spirit came. 
But look at Peter. Peter turned around and said, hey, guys, whoa, there's only 11 of us. There's supposed to be 12. No big deal, right? Yes, in God's structured order, yes. They put the 12th into position, and what happened? The Holy Spirit filled the house, filled the house. Things were placed in their right order, biblically, according to what the Father said needed to be done. But he's not just shaking the church. Yo, he's shaking you and I. There's not a person in here right now, I would venture to say, if you are honest enough to walk and look in the mirror right at the moment, there's something in your life God is shaking. Go to Hebrews 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Verse 25. See that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if, for if they did not escape who refused him, who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth, and now he has promised saying, yet once more I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Now know this, yet once more, indicates the removal of those things that are, that are being shaken as of things that are made. That the things which cannot be shaken remain. How many people in here have been defiled by the world? Well, we're going to have to really have a confessional afterwards. <laughs> Every single one of us in this room have been touched in one way or another by the opinions of man's, the thoughts of man's, the ways of man's, the ways of our culture, the ways of the, the defilement of things that are not of him. And he's shaken. He's shaken the nations, he's shaken the church, and he's shaking us. So, what is he shaking in you? If he's shaking it, then he's saying, there's my altar. The message is repentance. My brother said this morning in Sunday school, he said, repentance to me has been like an onion. It's been peeling, 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 layer after layer after layer because repentance in our way, in, in our life and time around us has been like a cake. Repentance is the icing. We forget that true repentance is in the cake. 
We got to get past the surface. We got to get past the face. We got to get past the, the masks. We got to get past everything to what's inside that's not functioning as it should. According to this. Not according to me. Not according to your next door neighbor. Not according to the Baptist or the Presbyterian or the... Uh-uh. According to his word. Why? Why? Why is the Lord doing all this? Why is he shaking? Why is he shaking all the nations? Why is he doing all that he's doing? Because, ladies and gentlemen, he's coming back for a bride without spot, wrinkle, or blemish. And you are a part of the bride. This church is a part of the bride. This nation is a part of the bride. It is all part and parcel of his creation that he said he's going to put at the feet of his son. And you know what? In the Jewish culture, when the father knows that his son wants to marry a young lady, the father takes the responsibility to make sure that that bride is ready for his son. So the father's watching over all the details right now. And Daniel 9, Daniel 10, Daniel's crying out to the Lord, tell me, tell me. I see these things happening around me, but tell me, Father, what's going on? What should I know? My, what, what are we, what's going in the midst of this? What's happening? Time is shorter than you think it is. The Father is preparing to turn to his son and say, go get your bride. It's ready for you. Is it ready at the moment? No, I don't think it is. But I'll guarantee you he's shaking everything that can be shook. Because he wants it to be right. He wants it to be without spot, wrinkle, or blemish. But let me show you something that I was sitting in my room in Egypt. The Lord had been really bringing all of this and showing me where we are and what we're going through and why this shaking is taking place and what he's doing in the earth and not only just for the church, but for us. And he said, go to the book of Acts. So I went to the book of Acts. He says, Acts 16. It's a wonderful story. We love the story. We talk about it all the time. And we talk about Paul and Silas down in that nice little pit in the, in the, they're singing and they're praising and, and everybody thinks that the story is the reason that they're in there and that shaking's going on, that it's for the jailer to get saved. That's what I think. You know, I've read it. Yeah. The Lord said, look a little deeper. Let me read this to you and listen to it carefully. Verse 25. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns. Lord, stop me there. He said, what does praying and singing mean to you? I said, well, singing is what's everything in heaven. I felt him say this, the two most powerful weapons 
given to a Christian is prayer and praise. And they will turn the very head of the Father towards those that are praying and praising him in purity, right heart, and seeking his face for him to answer and to come to their assistance or aid. Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners around them were listening. Suddenly, there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were loosed. He who has an ear, let him hear. The shakings that are going on right now are shaking the foundations of everything in the earth. And as those foundations are shaking, doors are flying open. And chains are coming off from people and countries. Several months ago, we watched some with tremendous horror, the 21 Egyptians on their knees as behind them were the Islamists that were fixing to take their heads off. What is unbeknownst to most of us in this room, unless someone caught it, one of the jihadists when he took the guy's head off, said, we do this in accordance to the hadith. There are two main books. There are five holy books, but two of them are the Quran and the hadith. When he did that, the Quranists in Islam said, are we following the Quran or are we following the hadith? Stay with me now. They have challenged Al-Azhar, which is the university. They are saying to them, are we following the Quran or are we following the Hadith? The imams have been waffling about answering. Why? The Hadith are all the practices of Islam. The washing of hands, jihad, all of the practices, all the things that they are, think are supposed to be, and they are sayings that they think Muhammad said or others that were connected with him, but they have no proof of it. Right now, they're waiting for the brain of Islam the university, to decide whether they are to be following the Quran or the Hadith. If they throw out the Hadith, that's it for Islam. It will crash because all the practices can't be followed and won't be followed. The foundations are being shook in such a way that sometimes we don't see it 
in the news because we don't see the, the things that are happening underneath in the surface. The thing that is also occurring is it is damaging, ISIS is damaging the economy of Islam. And so now they're being trying to change a little bit of the Quranic flavor and messages of Quran. Uh, sounds like Washington, D.C., where they're trying to uh, make it taste a little bit better so that people will. Do you see what's happening? And the thing of it is, is I heard a pastor stand up at the conference I was just at, and he. <coughs> He said, if you're praying for peace, you are praying in error. Do not pray for peace. Pray for God to continue to shake until the doors open, until the foundations are so shook that people will get it right and they will turn away from that which is anathema to God and turn to God. Example. 64% of Iraqis have left Islam. Every time ISIS takes off another person's head, 100,000 Muslims leave the faith. They just killed 300 Yazidis in, just outside of Mosul if we are following the statistics correctly, out of that 300,000 that just left the faith, they say that probably in in approximate, there will be at least 100,000 of them that will come to Christ because they know of Christ. They will go in that direction. They will head to him who is searching for them and looking for them. So what does this all have to do with us today? What does it have to do to us? We need to be keenly aware that the things that are happening around us are not necessarily from the enemy. We need to be discerning what is being in front of us. We are to be discerning the will of God in the midst of things. That when some things are earth shattering and shaking, we don't always have to label it as the enemy as much as it is the Lord trying to shake the dross from the silver and the impurities from the gold because he wants it to be pure before him. Us personally, are you prepared to stand before Jesus? Kind of a sobering thought. But are we? Has he shook out of you the things that don't belong? Opinions don't get it. The purity of God's word is. The word that is being echoed in church after church and in the camps is repentance. It's repentance. The book of Joel in chapter 2 says very clearly the call, the trumpet went out. The things that were happening around them. He said, don't fear those things, but repent. Repent. Come back to me. Get on bended knee. 
There's a wonderful Messianic Jew that was at the meeting and he was standing and he stood before everybody and I knew it was coming because I had talked with him earlier. He said, how many people in here pray for the peace of Jerusalem? How many people in here tonight pray for the peace of Jerusalem? Do you know what you're praying? Scripture commands us to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. But what comes before peace? The earthquake. The shaking. Why? Because God loves you so much. He loves them so much. He's going to shake them to bring him back where? To him. I was, I was reluctant. The Lord gave me this. I was reluctant to even say anything here in the United States. Overseas. Everybody sees this. Everybody's aware right at the moment. With the exception of those that have been called to this country as Luis and his wife have and There's others that have been called to this country to pray for it, to cry out, to try and help bring America back where it needs to be. All of the friends that I have, the Kurds, what are they praying for? They're praying that America again will be bold enough to repent and get back on its knees before God. It was about 3 a.m. in the morning in in Cairo, Egypt, and I was up early because I had to give a report that day to uh, the elders of the church and some of the things that had happened in Iraq and I was wrestling with all of this and I sat there and I said, Lord, I I need to know. I I just, I, I need to know what you're saying to me is from you. I mean, most of us in here, we... Sometimes we'll go away for three days and fast and pray. We'll get on our faces and you just, you need to know. And I had my little window open so that the fresh air of the morning could come in and you could get the aromatic camel smells and an occasional goat would bellow and it got to be about 4 a.m. and about that time you hear Ali Akbar. And they're all, it's a call to prayer. And I heard this cooing sound. That's strange. I kept hearing the cooing sound. And I looked out on the balcony that was right around the window area that was open, and there were two white doves. Now, what most of you don't know is there are no white doves in Egypt. There are none. They don't exist. And they stayed there while I had a conversation with my father. And that's when he said to me, he said, son, you put put my trumpet to your mouth 
and you tell my people, do not fear. I am your covering. I am with you. You will not be forsaken. I'm going to do everything to bring you where you need to be. But follow me. Step by step, day by day, do not get distracted on the things that are around you, but focus on me. I said, yes, Lord, I will. It was about that time, there was a knock on my door because I had made it well known to all of the missionaries from the different countries that I'm up early in the morning and if they would like to come pray with me, I pray from 3.30 till about 6 o'clock. There was a knock at the door. And at first I thought maybe the doves were woodpeckers and were... Because nobody had come to my room the first few days I was there. So I go to the door and there's the missionary from the Gaza Strip. And he comes in. And he said, I want to know what the Lord just told you. And I said to him, um, Are you sure? He said, the Lord woke me up and told me to come here because what he's revealed to you, I need to know to take back to the people in the Gaza Strip. So I shared with him. He broke down in tears. And then he shared this with me. There is a very small Christian community in Gaza It's gone through H-E double with all the superlatives that can go with it. The bombing, the fighting between the factions that are there, the horrendous problems that are going on. And it's very difficult as a missionary to be sharing the gospel and to be trying to give people an understanding of what's happening. And he took some food to a Muslim man who lives a few blocks from him. And he went up and he knocked on his door. And as he knocked on the door, he could hear Arabic in the background. And he was listening to Sat7, which is the Christian channel where all of the things that are coming from Christianity are being spoken and the word is going out and everything else. And he, he was kind of shocked to walk in this Muslim man's house and apartment and here he is listening to Sat 7 and the Muslim man looked at him and said, why are you not preaching to us this word that I'm hearing here on the TV? He said, God is saying something to us here in Gaza and you're the, you're the tool that he uses to speak to us. The imams we can't believe anymore. We can't believe them. But we know that you speak the truth because all of the houses around you have been destroyed and yours hasn't been touched. 
And he shared with me that every Christian in that community in Gaza, their house stands, the rest have been destroyed. He said the favor of God has been on us on the Christian community. It's, lim- it's limited what we can do and when we can do it. But he said, what you shared with me about the shaking, now I can go back and tell them what's going on. And not to fear what's going on. I, when I was in Iraq, uh, some of you know the story. Um, and like Paul Harvey, there's the rest of the story. Um, I had gotten up one, on a Monday morning, was getting ready to go to a refugee camp. And the Lord spoke very clearly to me and he said, uh, Jim, what I'm sending you there for is not what you're going there for. Well, I thought, I'm going to go to distribute food. I'm going to go, you know. No, that's not what I'm sending you for. So I got in my buddy's vehicle and we had Three trucks, four trucks were going up the road. We get up there, we drive into the camp. And about that time, here comes this little short Kurdish guy who's dark. I mean, they're, they're dark, almost totally tan, darkish, olive color, you know, Middle Eastern. But he was about as white as this. And he was shaking. He said, uh, Abuna. They call me father, Abuna, Abuna. See this lady over here? And of course I look over and there's this lady standing there just bawling. Tears coming out of her eyes, shaking and bawling. He said, she just told me that this morning she was praying. She was asking God to answer her prayers that she needed someone to pray for her parents and some of her neighbors. And the Lord said he was sending a white-haired man with a white beard that's not from your country. When he did that and he said that to me, my normal reaction was I turned around. In all sincerity, I turned around to look to see if there was another gray-haired man with a beard. But then I remembered what the Lord said to me. You're not supposed to go up into the camps. Um, they're dangerous. There's no security up there. But I talked to my big burly Kurd friend and he said, hey, God said to do it. You follow what the Lord told you to do. Went up into the camp and prayed. And I mean, it was, I was up there for almost three hours. Going from one tent to the next, to one hut, to one house, to one flat, to just everywhere. But in that travel, there was a man who was from the Yazidi tribe. (coughs) When I walked up to him to pray for him, He looks at the interpreter and points at me and he says these words to him in Arabic. He said, this man knows Jesus. He needs to send someone to our girls. 
Well, I prayed for him. When we got back, I talked with Heidi, who's on our team. And this is the rest of the story. When the 300 women, the Yazidi women, were kidnapped, the Yazidis have a tradition that in the right ear, the women have an earring that they wear that signifies their purity, that they're virgins. Isis had taken them. I don't have to go into the details of what happened after they took them. So, myself and Heidi and a couple of others went into town and we found a jeweler and bought 300 earrings. And because I couldn't go, because they were women, Heidi went with a couple of the women and they ministered to each one of them and put the earring back in their ear and said, Jesus loves you no matter what's happened to you. He loves you and you're special. And put their ear, the earring back in. Of course, they say the tears were just yahoo. I mean, it doesn't take much of us to be babies in a heartbeat to cry. When she got back, the head of the Yazidis in the Turkish camp, which is where the UN is, and it's as far as you can see tents, said, you need to send to us the rose. Heidi, they now call the rose. You need to send Heidi the rose to our, to our women because they need to be aware that they are still women and Jesus loves them. I'm not Daniel. I'm certainly not Haggai. The Apostle Peter, or even the one who penned the book of Hebrews. I'm a brother in Christ that is appealing to the body of Christ to wake up. It's time to wake up. It's time to discern the Father's voice. It's time to realize that a lot of the things that are happening in our earth right now are not man-made. They are a Father who's getting prepared to send His Son back to us. And for those of us that are called to ministry, those of us that are going to nations still, those of you that are going to Bilo tomorrow or to Ingalls the next day, your ministry is still the same. That each one of us will be bold for Christ, sharing the gospel, and trying to make our brothers and sisters in Christ aware, aware of where we are in the time frame of God's kingdom. Is it going to come tomorrow? I'm sorry. I'm, I, I'd, I'd, be, I'd be preaching the wrong way. 
I don't know. But I do know this. The signs are there. The signs are there not only in Matthew, but they're also here in Scripture. They're also happening in the nations. That the time that we have before the Father comes with his Son gloriously on that charger coming after us is a lot sooner than what we realize. And I ask you, in the name of Christ, start here. Start here. It begins here with all of us. And those of us that are carrying the message to the nations or those that have come to America to carry the, the word to us here, I pray for boldness. Stay bold for Christ. Stay the course. Stay the focus. Don't get distracted. And for those of us in the house of prayer, may we do as Paul and Silas did in jail. Start to pray and praise like we've never praised and prayed before. But the Lord will continue to shake his church and get it in its right order so that you and I can experience what I long to experience that I can't even walk in the back door because the Shekinah glory is so full in this house. We can't even enter it. Is it possible? Yes, it is. And it has been down through history. My brother just handed this to me and it says, uh, he said, it's uh, prayers of Peter Marshall. Did you know? We know our father that at this desperate hour in the world affairs, we need thee. We need thy strength, thy guidance, thy wisdom. There are problems far greater than any wisdom of man can solve. What shall our leaders do in such an hour? May thy wisdom and thy power come upon the President of these United States and the senators and congressmen to who have been entrusted leadership. May the responsibility lie heavily on their hearts until they are ready to acknowledge their helplessness and turn to thee. Give them the honesty and the courage and the moral integrity to confess that they don't know what to do. Only then can they lead us as a nation beyond human wisdom to thee, who alone has the answer. Lead us to this high adventure. Remind us that a fortress is our God. Not a hiding place where we can escape for an easier life, but rather an arsenal of courage and strength. The mightiest of all who will march beside us into the battle of, for righteousness and world brotherhood. Our God, may we never recover 
from our feeling of helplessness and our need of thee. In the strong name of Jesus, our Lord, we pray. I think everybody in here can say amen.